Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Abby and I am the admin and comms worker here at Leichhardt Uniting. We are a church based on Gadigal land here in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Leichhardt Uniting Church-LUC on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name and you can find out more about our church and our team at leichhardtuniting.org.au. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Adrian Sukumar White is preaching on Forgive Us Our Sins As We Forgive Those Who Sin Against Us. This is part four of a six-part series. Please enjoy the following sermon. So week four of our series on the Lord's Prayer turns our focus to the lines, Forgive Us Our Sins As We Forgive Those Who Sin Against Us. But it might be worth us going back to last week and and reminding ourselves what we covered. Uh, on the line, give us today our daily bread. We talked about how this line was one of humility as it reminds us that we are not in control and that we are dependent on those around us and ultimately on God. We talked about the reality of both overconsumption and poverty in our country and that both, to, that both of these things need to be addressed as we live out this prayer together. And we also reflected that alongside physical hunger sits a spiritual hunger that Jesus, in his, and in his ministry, Jesus sought to address both. And so as followers of Jesus, the invitation is for us to live and to work and to pray for a world where all are fed. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. These lines do warrant our careful consideration primarily because of how loaded these words are, the words like forgiveness and sin. So we'll start with forgiveness. And we might need to stop there too, because it's actually a tricky thing to define, or I would have said so unless, until Robin did it so beautifully. But it's, it's almost primal, I think. I think it's, we sort of know it, but we don't necessarily know how to describe it well. I find Nadia Boltz Weber's work helpful here as it kind of takes us on a little different journey. As Nadia describes forgiveness as God's way of combating evil. Forgiveness is God's way of combating evil. Because when we are wronged, we are bombarded with the impulses of retaliation or revenge. We desire the other to feel the hurt that we feel. But what we see in Jesus in God incarnate and particularly in the crucifixion, is another way. Nadia writes, God shows us God's system by not even lifting a finger to condemn those who put him on the cross, but instead proclaiming of all things forgiveness. In doing so, he cuts the world loose from our own sin because Jesus can't stand to see us chained to it. At Calvary, we see our God entering deeply into the suffering caused by human evil and saying, this ends here. I will not transmit it. Forgiveness is the way in which we stop cycles of violence and revenge. It's how we draw the line in the sand. And it's not about being a pushover. It's not about keeping ourselves in unsafe environments where we can be hurt and hurt again. It's saying that I will not use my trauma as a reason to inflict trauma on others. And by stopping these cycles, 
By stopping the transmission of hurt and pain, we are redefining the world. We are doing kingdom work. Not only that, forgiveness is in our best interest too. Nelson Mandela once said, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. If we can learn to forgive, if we can learn to let go of resentment, let go of that poison, we can find liberation for ourselves. Which leads us to think about what we are seeking or offering forgiveness for, and that is sin. And within the church's history, and indeed present, sin has often been given a very narrow definition. That is, sin is the things that we shouldn't do. Now, that's not necessarily incorrect, but it certainly is incomplete. The society in which we live operates under a crime and punishment worldview. You do something wrong, and then if you get caught, you receive some form of punishment. And this is modelled and so linked to the way in which we understand the, the situation of sin, the things that we do wrong, the crimes, the sins. And so for us together, for the most part, we will obey the law and thus we are free to live in our civil society. But is that enough? Is that all that we expect of ourselves and each other? That as long as we obey the law, then we can do whatever the hell we want. In a similar vein, within the life of the church, the understanding probably equates to as long as we don't commit sins, we don't do the wrong things, then we can do whatever we want. Friends, it is time for a difficult word because I believe that for us, for follow, in following Jesus, this is not enough. We are not just called to people who don't do what is wrong. We are called to be people who do what is right. You open your Bible and look to Matthew chapter 6 and look at the Lord's Prayer there, you'll see the primary source for the prayer that we say each week. And you might notice something interesting because the word sin doesn't appear in Matthew's version of the prayer. Instead, what we see is forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, the word sin is used in Luke's version in chapter 11. And so the Lord's Prayer that we say in church may be some form of hybrid of the two. But regardless, though, I think the use of the word debts can give us a slightly different focus. Because a debt is something that hasn't been paid, something that hasn't been done. And so if we pray for God to forgive our debts, we are asking for God's forgiveness for the things that we haven't done. It is easier for us to not do wrong by God than it is for us to do right by God. And the mistake we often make is assuming that those two are the one and the same. There is no question that we are called to, do, to not do wrong in the world. But our allegiance to the risen, crucified one calls us to more than that. We are called to be agents of Christ in the world, righting the wrongs, fighting injustice, living good, holy lives in the name of Jesus. Because if we're not actively seeking and doing the good works of God in the world, then we have chosen the sides of those who oppress God's will and reign in the world. In our Bible reading today, we hear, heard the parable of the unforgiving servant. 
I find it interesting that this parable that Jesus uses to illustrate the importance of forgiveness is also one ultimately about debt. Forgiveness in this context is practical and tangible. It can actually be measured. But I think there's another reason why I wouldn't want to use, lose the debt language from our thinking as we pray the Lord's Prayer. And it comes from the particular context of Matthew. Matthew is generally understood to be the most Jewish of the Gospels and was certainly written with a Jewish audience in mind. And so any talk about the forgiveness of debt within a Jewish context holds far deeper meaning than we might be aware, as it points us to the Old Testament practice of Jubilee. Here's a quick refresher. There are seven days of the week. The seventh day is the Sabbath, the holy day, the day of rest. And note that this rest was for everyone, including laborers, including slaves, including animals. But this concept of Sabbath gets extended. In the book of Leviticus, we talk about a Sabbath year, where on the seventh year, they would no longer work the land, instead giving the land time to rest. And they would save what they, what they harvested from the years before and use it for that year of rest. But then the concept was extended again to what is known as Jubilee, which is every 50 years, the year after seven Sabbath years. Now, there's a bunch of details in Leviticus chapter 25 about Jubilee, but there's one section I want to draw your attention to. If any who are dependent on you become so impoverished that they sell themselves to you, you shall not make them serve as slaves. They shall remain with you as hired or bound laborers. They shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. Then they and their children with them shall be free from your authority. They shall go back to their own family and return to their ancestral property. The core aspect of Jubilee is the forgiveness of debt. Bonded laborers are to be set free. Their debts are forgiven. And whilst this sounds pretty amazing, because it is, imagine it on a societal level. That all debt is forgiven. Just like that. When we live in a world that makes money off the debt of others, the practice of Jubilee would create havoc in our economy. And maybe a bit of havoc is what we really need to reimagine our economic systems, to break the bonds of capitalism and find a new way of living that does not rely on our competing with one another or creating the horrifying economic disparities that exist in our world. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Note how these lines actually work. We pray to God for the forgiveness of our sins, our debts, with the assumption that we are already forgiving those around us. We've talked in previous weeks about the active nature of the Lord's Prayer and prayer in general, that when we pray, we should then work for that very same cause. We should pray for the kingdom and we should work for the kingdom. And with this petition, we see this model actually spelled out for us. We pray for forgiveness and we work to offer forgiveness. There is no separation here. They are considered two aspects of the same prayer. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because 
sometimes, if not most of the time, it's really not an easy thing to forgive. We've all been hurt by others to varying degree, and that hurt is real. It impacts us, it scars us, sometimes to the point where the idea of forgiveness can seem like a ridiculous impossibility or even a complete injustice. And so when we're told we need to forgive others, forgive those who have hurt us, it's no surprising that we struggle with that tension. But there is something that we should keep in mind at this point. In teaching us this prayer, Jesus is not making light of the trauma that we experience at the light of others. This isn't God saying, I don't care how much you're hurting, just get over it. Instead, what is going on here is that we are hearing about the importance of forgiveness as part of Christian practice. Forgiveness is ultimately the recognition of the grace of God that is bestowed upon us. Forgiveness is God's way of combating evil. Do you notice there's no ifs in the Lord's Prayer? It's not about if we sin. It's not about if we're sinned against. And built into the Lord's Prayer is a recognition that we are sinful, that we are broken people, every single one of us. And God knows that. Jesus taught this prayer knowing that. God knows that we are going to make mistakes, that we are going to cause harm to others, and that we will be harmed by others. The Lord's Prayer reminds us of this and reminds us that forgiveness is the path to which we are called because in some small way, if we can get to the point where we can honestly forgive those who have hurt us, then we are working towards God's ultimate dream for the world, that everything will be reconciled to God. There is no greater model of this than Jesus Christ in the midst of his suffering, of his dying on the cross, when he says of those who put him there, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. These extraordinary words become all all the more remarkable when we recognise that those whom he asked forgiveness for neither asked for it themselves, nor did they deserve it. Jesus forgave those who were torturing him whilst they were torturing him. This incredible act presents us with the challenge that there might be times where we need to offer forgiveness where none is sought or deserved. And that can seem unfair. We often talk about the importance of reconciliation and reconciliation is about mutuality. Is there a mutuality present here? It would seem not, but perhaps we're better understanding reconciliation as a process and that Jesus, even though he is the victim, the one who is wronged, it is he who takes the first step to reconciliation in a time where it would seem that no reconciliation could be possible. In 2006, there was a terrible shooting that took place in an Amish community in the United States. Charles Carl Roberts entered a schoolhouse, took hostages and shot eight of the, out of the ten girls there, aged six to 13, killing five and before committing suicide. This horrific crime shocked the world at the time, but what was perhaps even more shocking was the response of the Amish people. First, some of the Amish elders visited Marie Roberts, the wife of the murderer, 
to offer forgiveness. Then the families of the slain girls invited the widow to their own children's funerals. Next, they requested that all relief money intended for the Amish families be shared with Mrs. Roberts and her children. And finally, in an astonishing act of reconciliation, dozens of Amish families attended the funeral of the killer. In her article about the tragedy, the theologian Diana Butler-Bass wrote this. Their actions not only witnessed that the Christian God is a God of forgiveness, but they actively created the conditions by which forgiveness could happen. In the most straightforward way, they embarked on imitating Christ. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In acting as Christ, they did not speculate on forgiveness. They forgave. And forgiveness is, as Christianity teaches, the prerequisite to peace. We forgive because God forgave us. In forgiving, we participate in God's dream of reconciliation and shalom. These are difficult ideas, but it is who we are called to be. If we can find the strength and courage to be a forgiving and forgiven people, I believe that reconciliation will come close to us. As N.T. Wright suggests, forgiveness brings the life of heaven to earth, God's future to the present. Now I know that anything I say about forgiveness will make it sound easier than it actually is. It is hard. It doesn't come easily or naturally. But I think that once again, this is why the Lord's Prayer is a communal prayer. We say it together because we need the support of each other to do it. It's not easy, but it is important. It's something that we have to work at because there are not too many more powerful symbols of God's grace in the world than the offer of forgiveness that can be shared with broken people in a broken world. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Have a great day.